Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and this is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount. On this show, we're getting to the bottom of what still holds women back from women who are beating the odds. When it comes to a woman's right to choose and abortion rights, uh, we're not going to get to 60, even though we have several Republicans, two at least, on our side on this. And so that's why I would make the case for abolishing the filibuster. Here to help me introduce this week's episode is my producer, Sari Safar. We officially hit a year of Just Something About Her, and today is our 50th episode. Woohoo! <laughs> Cheers! Funny thing, I happen to have a glass of wine right here. Perfect for the occasion. And to celebrate, we have a very cool guest this week. Senator Amy Klobuchar is on the show, the first woman elected to the United States Senate from the state of Minnesota, the chairwoman of the Senate Rules Committee, and a senior member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Yes, our conversation was part of a partnership we did with the 2021 Texas Tribune Festival, which ended up being a virtual experience from September 20th to 25th that offered big thinking interviews and nuanced discussions on the topics people care about most. And we sat down earlier in September with Senator Klobuchar to talk about polarization, partisanship, and the attack on individual rights that we are seeing happen across the country. Yeah, and one of those attacks is on women's rights, specifically the Texas abortion law that bans the procedure as early as six weeks into pregnancy before most women know they're even pregnant. And we were interested in the implications of that law across the country where since then, lawmakers have threatened to introduce similar bills and have already done so in Florida. I also read a story this week that said that an Oklahoma abortion clinic is inundated with patients from Texas who now make up two-thirds of the people coming into that location for abortions. Yeah, I, I saw that. We're already seeing the effects. And we're going to see reproductive rights tested again in a month when the Supreme Court finally hears arguments for the Mississippi abortion bill. And that bill bans the procedure at 15 weeks. Also, this coming weekend, there are women's marches across the country happening. I'm going to one in New York. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> I may be going to one in Texas. We'll cool. have to say, yes. The women's marches are tied to the Supreme Court coming back into session next week since women's rights are very much on their docket. Yeah. And then when they're hearing the Mississippi abortion bill on December 1st, that's the one that we were all previously looking toward to determine the fate of Roe v. Wade. Right. When we spoke with Alexis McGill-Johnson, the president yeah. of Planned Parenthood, that was the one that she was concerned about. And then this Texas one kind of... Slipped in the back door. Yeah. Yeah. It is all very much on the line. But the thing about Senator Klobuchar is she is an extremely practical 
action-oriented politician. She's regularly rated as one of the most effective members of the Senate. So she has really tangible solutions on how Congress can protect women's rights, voting rights, climate change, all the things she's fired up about this legislative session. You mean getting rid of the filibuster, <laughs> dare I say? Yes. And and honestly, Sarah, the fact that she's pushing for this, like, just really tells you how this yeah. debate is changing and, you know, may actually happen. But I also want to know how she plans to get things done in an increasingly polarized Congress and country. And if she has any hopes of how we either get back to a place where politics isn't so deeply partisan or creating new place where we're bridging those divides. And um, finally, I will note that we spoke to her just days after she spoke publicly for the first time about her breast cancer diagnosis from earlier this year. So we'll talk about what she learned from that experience and how she's doing. So let's get to it. Senator Klobuchar, welcome to Texas Trip Fest and just something about her. Well, thank you, Jen. It's great to see you. And it is great to be back. I've been at the festival in reality several times, including with you, I believe. I I remember maybe having a drink late at night before (laughs) one of the the important sessions. Yeah, I would would be great if this was at the courtyard at the Hotel San Jose, (laughs) where I think we have met after the day's activities to sort of get regroup on all the... I love how you clarify that after the day's activities. Yes. Yes. Very good. (laughs) The communications professionals. <laughs> so uh, I want to start with the news that you just revealed um, recently that you were diagnosed with breast cancer earlier this year. You said in one of the interviews that it's something no one wants to hear and no one wants to experience, but it's really renewed my faith in the people around me and in my purpose. So first of all, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Oh, I'm feeling really good. You know, this started back in February, routine mammogram. I'd put it off through the pandemic like so many women have. I actually believe thousands of women have undetected breast cancer right now. But I finally had it and they found it early enough and were able to remove the lump. And it was stage 1A. I had radiation in May and then have a very good prognosis. They think my chances of getting cancer again are about the same as anyone in the general population. So that's good. But what I've learned through this journey Uh, was one, one out of three Americans have put off just routine exams, not just for cancer. And that's really scary because a lot of these things, if you catch them early, you're much better off. And then secondly, just what a gift every day is, including, uh, you know, everything from my husband getting up early for five days and driving me to radiation treatment or the nurses at Mayo Clinic giving me a red, white, and blue mask when it was all done, or just perfect strangers who had no idea what was going on on when I'd slept back and forth between Minnesota and Washington, D.C. And little did they know I wasn't supposed to lift my suitcase up after that surgery, but they did. They would just go, hey, I'm looking kind of forlorn. They don't know who I am because you got masks on the airplane. And they'd always be jumping up and getting out my luggage. So, you know, I had many things happen like that, including my colleagues, it was a tough year. My dad died, a lot going on. Your husband had COVID too. John, yeah. who every, you know, we won't say he's your better half, but he's an awesome guy. He is. And I have a renewed purpose of the work that we're doing and everything from reducing the prices of prescription drugs, which is so important to really all people in the healthcare system with the Medicare negotiation, which we're taking on now to mm-hmm. 
many, many other things we can do in the area of healthcare. So yeah, renewed purpose, that's correct. And also just gratefulness and gratitude for everything people did, including these incredible doctors and nurses and all the people that have come up to me and said, okay, I called and scheduled my mammogram. I was putting it off. And it's very interesting that things they think through in their minds. At first, it was understandable, the pandemic. Then they realized it was safer. Then some of them even told me they thought through, well, what if I do have cancer? Do I really want to go to the hospital right now? Right. No, it's worse to have cancer and have it keep going. So I think it's been really a, a positive that way to really get people thinking. Yeah. And renewed purpose. Normally Congress comes back in fall. Oh, there's so much to do. You have to deal with the budget. Maybe you have to deal with reconciliation. But I just don't recall a time where the stakes are so high. Agreed. I really do think the combination of the flooding and the fires all summer and the need to move on clean energy and infrastructure and climate change, the need to do, I believe, more on immigration reform when you look at some of the uh, businesses in my state who need either temporary workers or permanent workers. Right. Uh, when you look at what people are struggling, still balancing their toddlers on their knees and their laptops on their desk and teaching their kids how to use a mute button on Zoom calls. And a lot of people are back in person. That's great. But we're still, because of this variant, we need to get more people vaccinated. And then, you know, what happened with Afghanistan, getting the refugees placed right now high on my list as a state that takes in a lot of refugees. So there is many, many things that are happening, but we still need to keep our eye on that long term of the economy, which to me means these build back better agenda uh, that's right before us. And it does feel like we're at the breaking point in so many ways with parents working from home and still having to deal with health care, with the floods and the fires that you described, you know, in terms of climate change, the Delta variant. And then there's this cascade of efforts across the country. And we'll talk, we'll like talk about Texas relevant now uh, in trying to take away people's rights. Exactly. And even though all these things are such huge challenges, I actually do believe we're up to it and I'll get to Texas in a minute. I do. I was thinking, remember when, and I think you were in the White House then with Obama when he first came in and remember there was a downturn then and they were going through all these things. Yeah. And in his press conference, one of his first press conference, including the at the time, the Somali pirates. And he said, I would love a nice lean uh, portfolio to deal with. But that's not the hand that's been dealt us. And I'm up for the challenge. And I believe that about this administration. And I know there's all these ancient procedural rules in the Senate, but somehow we found a way uh, to pass major legislation in the last year to get through the pandemic. And I continue to have hope, but let's get to Texas. Okay. Well, let's do Yeah. Cause I, I don't want to kind of step back to say like, what do you see that's actually happening in the country, but specifically Texas, the Texas abortion uh, bill. So some providers have said that up to 90% of women seeking abortions in the state would be prohibited from doing so under this bills. Can you explain why this bill is so alarming to you and why it's not just a problem for Texas? And I know that when you're on the Senate Judiciary Committee of the Supreme Court, this is sort of the worst case scenario. It's not something I imagine kind of playing out this way, that the way we might face a Roe v. Wade test was kind of through this weird backdoor legislation and the Supreme Court getting a stay, but you had a very spirited back and forth with Amy Coney Barrett. Is Roe a super precedent? How would you define super precedent? I I actually, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not, I'm up here, so I'm asking you. Okay, well, people use super precedent differently. 
come to think of it, we've had many spirited back and forths with Supreme Court justices. Justice Kavanaugh, yes. You're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened. That's You're asking about, yeah, blackout. I don't know. Have you? But you all particularly talked about super precedents with Amy Coney Barrett, you know, as it related to Roe v. Wade. So what do we need to worry about this bill and, and how do you sort of see it playing out with the court? Okay. As my daughter would say, that question was a lot. So uh, <laughs> let's start back with what's happened with the court, how we ended up where we are, you know, and I predicted this, that these Trump justices, three of them, adding to the two conservatives that are already on the court. And then you have Justice Roberts, who, of course, is conservative, but in this case, in my mind, did the right thing, even though he may disagree in his you know, own mind on some of the issues, he did the right thing under the law. So you had that five judge majority in the middle of the night with, in Justice Kagan's words, you know, less than 72 hours of thought. And they green lighted, in her word, this law that clearly is unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade instead of giving what is called an emergency stay. And they've done that in 2015 and 2019 on abortion cases, one of them involving Texas for egregious laws that were just as bad. But this one to me is even worse. And I'll get to that. Yeah. So that's what happened. The court didn't give the stay and now it's taking effect. You ask, is this just about Texas? It's not just about Texas because you already have governors and conservative legislators in predictable states already saying, oh, we're going to try this now. We already have Mississippi. The Texas law says you know, basically when you can hear a heartbeat, basically in six weeks. And if you're seeking abortion services and you don't get it by then, then you can't get it or you can be reported and get in trouble. So what does that mean? As you said, well over you know 90 percent of women just trying to exercise their constitutional rights will be denied that in Texas. And if other states, which we expect will happen, do identical laws, it's going to multiply across the country. So why this law is so bad, which I just explained, <laughs> is they've created bounty hunters in Texas. They basically have said, oh, well, if you find out a woman is seeking an abortion, uh, you can report her and get 10,000 bucks. That means a neighbor that happens to overhear something. That means someone who hears a private conversation at a coffee shop. That could mean someone who drove someone. That could mean someone who's spying on an abortion clinic or any kind of health clinic that provides abortions. It's just simply outrageous. And the fact, and even Justice Roberts, in his uh, own opinion in this case, he said it was highly unusual and unprecedented, and that basically Texas was ceding their power to enforce the laws to the general populace. Those are Justice Roberts' words, and he is not exactly a flaming liberal. The Mississippi law that you referred to, it would prohibit abortion after 15 weeks. That is due to be heard by the Supreme Court this fall, and that's what everyone was looking towards to see where this could all get tested. And then we had this, you know, kind of even this more bizarre scenario play out over the summer. Do you have any thoughts about how the Mississippi case may proceed now or, you know, what we're likely to see? The Biden Justice Department has filed a lawsuit against the Texas mm -hmm. bill saying it's unconstitutional as well. 
Well, and there already has been one state court finding to uh, stop some of this. But how this will affect, first of all, Mississippi, one of the things I said in my questioning of Amy Coney Barrett was follow the tracks, follow the tracks. And if you looked at her record, you follow the tracks and it led you to believe uh, that she was going to get rid of Roe v. Wade and those protections, basically. And I asked her specifically if she would consider Roe v. Wade like she considered Brown v. Board of Education super precedent. And she said no. Now, she wouldn't say how she'd rule. And there were some people who naively said, see, she said she was uh, like, no, follow the tracks. And so if you follow the tracks from this case that we just saw with the emergency thing, that would lead you to believe uh, that we're going to see trouble, from my perspective, in that Mississippi case. Meanwhile, back in Texas, you do see challenges being launched. Ultimately, in the federal courts, this will go to a district court, to circuit court, and the um, circuit court is notoriously uh, conservative that covers Texas. So, you know, that was the court that threw out the ACA, uh, the Affordable Care Act. And so the thought is that Really, they found some way to get around the law now, or at least judges that they think will overrule the law. I mean, it's a pretty dangerous situation. And to me, to get to solution, so this isn't all admiring the problem, um, the solution is, yes, the litigation. Yes, what the Justice Department can do, and you just never know, right? The court still hasn't decided on the merits, and you still don't know how every one of them will decide. So you do not want to concede that in any way when you see the impact of this and also how blatantly violative it is of a woman's right to choose and privacy rights and the like. So you can't concede that. Then the second piece is we should codify Roe v. Wade into law. That is the simplest way to solve this. Um, Speaker Pelosi has started that bill in the House. We have a similar version that I'm a co-sponsor of in the Senate. And what you run into the Senate is, of course, the filibuster rules. And I think we should abolish the filibuster. All those things I talked about at the beginning, immigration reform. We have Republican votes on that. We do. But we can't get to 60. Okay, and that's what you need. Ridiculously, no, you know, democracies don't usually work that way. Right. You've got climate change. Yes, we can invest in infrastructure, but we're not going to be able to put greenhouse gas rules in place. And yes, uh, when it comes to a woman's right to choose and abortion rights, uh, we're not going to get to 60, even though we have several Republicans, two at least, on our side on this. And so that's why I would make the case for abolishing the filibuster. All right, we're going to dig a little deeper into your case for abolishing the filibuster. But first, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back to just something about her with Senator Amy Klobuchar. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with Senator Amy Klobuchar, who was just making her case as to why she thinks Congress should get rid of the filibuster altogether. So I was surprised to see, you know, that for Senator Amy Klobuchar, you represent a relatively conservative state. You know, you have a strong record of having worked bipartisan across the aisle. You know, you try to get things done with the other party. You go out of your way in your own state to really, you know, reach across party lines. And you had a tweet on September 6th. This was shortly after the Supreme Court allowed the Texas state to take effect, Texas state law to take effect. And you said, it's pretty simple. Unless we get rid of the filibuster, we're going to sit around admiring a lot of problems. Love that. And sending a lot of tweets. Instead, we should get something done. I feel like this is a pretty big statement for you, right? I mean, what was this journey like for you? Good question. How do you make the case for it? So when I first came into the Senate, I was one of the reform people, right? President Obama was then a senator back then, and (laughs) I was in the group that wanted reform. And he was part of that. He was already in the Senate, but we made a bunch of ethical reforms, right? Then we started having meetings about how we could change the filibuster. And I was in that group. Senator Harkin at the time had a proposal to reduce the numbers. When Mondale was, uh, who we just sadly lost, When he was a senator, he worked to reduce the number needed to break the filibuster from 67 to 60. They did it. So unbeknownst to, I think, a lot of people that hear about this debate, there have been reforms over the years to the filibuster, but we never really made movement on that. Even though I will say I am someone that strongly believes that you should do everything to work across the aisle, I don't find that inconsistent with an archaic rule that is just used to mess around with people now. It's used to, you know, have us vote till four in the morning, night after night, and people are just messing around. And I don't think that's good for bipartisan legislation, for any legislation. And so you know, in the last year or so, I've been very clear on my position, which has been developed over time, which is that I just think we got to get rid of it. And, you know, there is some talk about carving it out for certain bills like the voting bill, which Mm -hmm. I would, of course, favor. I would favor abolishing it overall. There's talk of reducing the numbers again, which could help in certain cases. There is talk about a standing filibuster. That means you'd still have to change rules, but it's making the other side basically argue their case day after day after day instead of just being able to pull a procedural switch and then uh, go home and watch TV, which is what's happening right now. I mean, you've clearly decided in favor of action. You're advocating that, you know, the end of the filibuster for, for voting rights. I know you sponsored the For the People Act for abortion rights. Climate change, it's another, you know, another one. And do you worry about the blowback? I mean, I'm sure you do worry about the blowback. How do you see this playing out? Um, it's just yeah. that we got to be with the facts or? I couldn't help but listen to the word blowback. And I thought, well, the blowback to me right now is that Duluth, Minnesota had one day the worst air quality that it's had in the history of recording air quality. Or, you know, we had these fires raging in northern Minnesota when no one thought that could happen to that extent. Same thing you've seen in California, uh, the hurricanes coming in. That's major blowback, okay? So we can just put our heads in the sand and say, oh, we have this old rule, we can't do anything. I just think the American people expect more. And in terms of the political blowback, 
as Georgia showed us, by the way, in the Senate races there, and Mm as Reverend Senator Warnock's incredibly strong support for changes to the voting rights and the filibuster in order to get to that point, to me, that just shows that the world has changed here. We can't just keep sitting around, as I said, and admiring the problem. At some point, you have to do something. Now, does it have to be one way? No, because we know there's still going to be negotiations. We still have a large group of moderates in both the House and the Senate and even conservative Democrats like Senator Manchin. So there's still going to be negotiations going on about the content. But at least we will be able to respond in some way to the crises of our time which includes people trying to suppress the vote, which includes the fires and the hurricanes, which includes this assault on women's rights. And I I still think you're going to have compromise and some Republican support for things, just like I was a big supporter of the infrastructure bill that we've just passed in the Senate and worked on that. The broadband piece of it especially was my piece of legislation. But I just think we've got to, at some point, be honest, this isn't bringing people together. What brings people together is when they feel that their country is moving as one team. And there have been many moments, even through the worst of times politically, where everyone's had that feeling in their local communities, where people stood up and volunteered and helped each other when they you know, embraced the healthcare workers. When we passed these bills that basically kept our our restaurants afloat and our music menus afloat. By the way, working Senator Cornyn of Texas and I working together leading our bill on Save Our Stages because we wouldn't, wasn't going to let the music die. There have been moments of bipartisanship still. It is not dead by any way. And there's been moments, especially in local communities where people have reached out. So I just refuse to lose hope on all of this. But I can't help but come forward and say the filibuster is just a huge impediment to moving forward on the big challenges of our time. You know, when you see the sort of like assault on rights across the board, the voting rights, abortion rights, Republicans still clinging to the big lie, the notion that Biden did not actually win the presidential election. What do you see as the actual fight that we're having? I think Trump is contributing not to all of this, but a lot of this by not conceding which just has not happened in American history, not conceding that he lost the election while every single, you know, high ranking justice official has said that even uh, his attorney general Barr, who stood by his side through so many um, issues and controversies, basically said there wasn't fraud in the election. And the Homeland Security Department, the head of all of the election protection work, said that it was the cleanest election in history. And Joe Biden, Kamala Harris won. So I do believe when you look at the insurrection, and I just completed with Senators Blunt and Portman and Peters, investigation of what we needed to do to protect the security of the Capitol there. That was your other big moment in 2020, of course, was having to as the chair of the Senate Rules Committee. Thank you, Ron Johnson, that it wasn't a picnic. You mean that moment? Yeah, but but the point is, is that from the moment that insurrection happened, I vowed as head of the Rules Committee, I was incoming head at that time, that uh, we were going to finish our job. And two weeks later, we took back that platform. And I will never forget Not only that night where Senator Blunt and Vice President Pence and I walked through broken glass with these two young women with a mahogany box filled with the remaining electoral ballots to finish our job. But two weeks later, 
when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were sworn in as the next president and vice president with all the leadership of the parties. Of course, Donald Trump didn't show up, but his vice president did and George Bush did sitting on the very platform that they had taken over with spray paint still tried to be washed out, but still evident on the columns and makeshift glass behind us. And as I said that day, it was a moment where our country uh, and our democracy brushed itself off and moved forward as we always do, one country under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And I got to meet Lady Gaga. <laughs> so that is the spirit that has gotten me through this year. And I also think on the other side of the extremism, it's what you see with Donald Trump urging it on is the continuing insurrectionists, which is everything from the rallies he proposes to what we see with the voter suppression, including in Texas in a big way, having yeah. uh, met your legislators that came out and they did everything they could to try to stop it. But that's just wrong. It was wrong to have one ballot drop-off box in Harris County with over 5 million people. As I told the people in my state, because that's about our population, that would be like putting one drop-off box in Bemidji, Minnesota and expecting everyone to go there. The recent legislation that was enacted, it's just done for one reason. And Warnock, uh, Reverend Warnock summed it up best in some simple words. Some people don't want some people to vote. And we have to stand up against that. And that's what the For the People Act does. And it does seem that what you're saying is Congress does their job bit by bit. There are huge challenges. But if you start knocking, start getting things done, people see Congress is working for them, representing them, solving problems, sometimes in a bipartisan way, but most importantly, solving problems. That's the path back. That's how we sort of unravel some of this. Is that how you see it? We demonstrated, as I noted a few times in the last year when we had to respond, and we did in major ways to keep the economy going and to get the vaccines distributed. And we even did that last year, sometimes without any leadership from the White House, we kept going. And now we have Joe Biden in and he is you know, leading the administration in a way to me uh, that is much more competent and we are moving ahead. So I just refuse to give up on America here. I think that despite the polarization, that there are ways to find common ground, but I refuse to allow ancient procedural rules that were done to not get certain things done, as in civil rights legislation that were put in place, uh, to define our future. And do you see a path for actually doing that? Right now, you don't have the votes to get rid of the filibuster or, or for filibuster reform. But you see value in continuing to argue for it because that's the path for it to get it done. What's the path? I do. I do. I think you just have to keep making the case as rights are stripped away state by state by state. You make the case as these voter suppression bills get enacted so that in Georgia, you volunteers can't even give water out to voters when they have three, four hour lines like they did in the last election. These things are so evil and they're so bad that I refuse to stop making the case. And also you have had some signaling. Senator Manchin has said he's open to a standing filibuster, which would be one way to do this. And so I just keep uh, making the case. Time for one more quick break. And then I have a final question about your experience running for president in 2020. That's next with Senator Amy Klobuchar on Just Something About Her. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back to Just Something About Her with our guest, Amy Klobuchar, who was a United States Senator from Minnesota and was previously a candidate for president in 2020. And as you know, Senator, I watched your presidential campaign with great interest. Oh, I know. You were on the road. On the road for the circus doing that. And and I still, were you not when I endorsed Joe Biden in that yes. incredible, hot, cool, amazing moment in Dallas? By the way, I started in the snow and I ended there. I remember coming off the stage and it was right before the pandemic really started. I mean, there'd been inklings of it, but there we were. And I literally, it's the last time I've been in a big rally like that. And one of the last faces I saw was yours. (laughs) Yeah, it was such an amazing, you know, miracle Monday. All of you all came back together to support him. But one thing I will say, you know, women that run for president are definitely held to double standards. And I do see progress in that when I would go to your events, what people would say about you, just something about her, right? There was just something about you that they liked. What they would say Uh was, she's so real. She's so authentic. Those are not words often said about politicians, particularly women, given all of the double standards that they battled. I do also think the fact that we had so many women running just made a difference in races all across the country unrelated to presidential. It wasn't just one candidate. On the first night of the first debate, we doubled the number of Democratic women on the primary stage ever. And the fact that they had different political views were from different parts of the country, looked different, whoa, wore different clothes. Woo. I think all of that was really good for America. So thank you. Thank you very much. I hope that, you know, maybe next fall I will see you and we will both be in Austin. Would like nothing better to be back in that hotel bar having a drink. So make that happen. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. Sarah, are you there? I'm here. What'd you think? So I wish we had had more time to talk to her about gender bias and the coverage that she saw during her time as a presidential candidate. You know, it's great that there were all these women on stage. Like every time it makes it easier and easier for women. But what I saw was in the end, Klobuchar and Warren were the ones that lasted the longest. And it just took a really long time for voters to buy into them. And for both of them, they sort of ran out of time. You know, it's just different questions we have for women candidates, different standards they're held to. It takes a long time to buy into them, but definitely better than 16. So yeah, it's progress. Yeah. What was your big uh, takeaway? I really appreciated how she's so action-oriented. She's like, people like to see politicians getting things done for them. And when they see politicians getting things done in a bipartisan way, that can help bridge the divide. 
Yeah, because this is something I think about, like, almost all the time. (laughs) Some part of my brain is always turning on this. You know, can you sort of recreate the days where you had bipartisanship? You know, a lot of people think no, because the incentive structure for the parties is very different. Democrats are still kind of traditional, like, to get things done, and Republicans only want to appeal to their base, and those things are at odds. But, you know, what I've heard her say, and even some Republicans I've talked to about it, is there's enough Republicans in Congress that do want to show they can get something done. I'm an optimistic person by nature. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. But the fact that you have Amy Klobuchar, you know, she's like very pragmatic, that she both wants to work in a bipartisan way, and thinks we need to either get rid of or reform the filibuster. That suggests to me that both of those things may actually happen. Yeah, and she debunked the idea that getting rid of the filibuster would mean that there's no bipartisanship. She said there's still going to be people working together to chip away at different parts of each of the bills. So that, that was interesting to hear as well. Yeah. And then her cancer diagnosis, it's interesting to me because she had said, we had read earlier, she said that, you know, it kind of gave her a renewed sense of purpose. You know, I think what she saw was kindness from people who didn't even necessarily know that she was sick, right? It seems like it caused her to maybe slow down a little bit, look around a little more and be heartened by, you know, how the world was taking care of her in its way. Yeah, and it gave her a renewed sense of purpose for a bunch of things that she wanted to tackle in Congress, too, which is cool. And a reminder for everyone to get their medical checks done. Yeah. (laughs) I was at the doctor today, actually. Oh, good for you, (laughs) Check. (laughs) All right, well, that was super cool. We've been wanting to have her on for a long time, so. I know, I know, and it's great. And I just love the Texas Trib Fest. So it was great to partner with those folks, too. This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount. Thank you to Senator Amy Klobuchar for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcasts app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. D. Scott Carroll and Logan Romju engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post-producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Nomi Ernst-Leibner is our executive producer.